morning, welcome. I'm uh, Stephen Cooper, I'm the pastor here, and I want to invite you to open your bulletins, look on the inside of the bulletin, you'll see there's some verses there, there's a place to take notes um, as we dive into God's Word this morning. I want to start by, I think, admitting something that for many people is obvious, and that is that being a Christian means that life is going to be difficult. Um, When you first hear the good news of Jesus, it sometimes sounds so wonderful. Like it sounds too good to be true. Uh, You get a fresh start with God. You get forgiveness. You get a shot at a new life. And it sometimes sounds like following Jesus. Some people can make following Jesus sound like all your problems will be solved. Right? Whatever issues you're going through, Jesus will fix those things. He's got answers. He's got wisdom. He's got power and strength. He's going to set you free. And the language that we use um, sounds like, man, it's going to be the end of all of your troubles. Um, but then you start following Jesus and you realize, wait, 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 things in life still aren't working out exactly the way that you want. Um, a relationship with God takes work. And I want to just, I want to say that. And I want to also tell you that personally, in my own spiritual journey, is one of radical ups and downs. I have been very, very high. I've been very, very low. I've had times where I have felt abandoned by God. I've had times where I've felt lied to, tricked, shortchanged by God. I've had times where I've felt angry, bitter, and frustrated with God. How about you? Yeah? Um... This is the reality. And whether you're a new Christian or whether you're not a Christian, right? you can feel this way about God. Even if you've been around the, the, the church for, forever, you've been a, ch- a Christian for a long time, you've had these ups and downs. But I can tell you also that now, for me, 25 years into a relationship with Jesus, okay, that's how long I've been a Christian, 25 years in, I'm still going strong. Okay? My relationship with God feels as close now as it ever has. And there's one thing, okay? there is one thing that has got me through it all these 25 years. Okay? There is one thing that has been consistent. And that one thing is its relationships in the church. Okay? It's the relationships that I've had. From 25 years ago until today, even this last week, I have been found in the darkest times by others. Okay, I have been supported in the hardest time by others. And I've been encouraged in both the bad times and in the good times by the relationships that I've had in the church. How about you? How about you? So we're finishing this series today called The Fine Print. This is what Christians sign up for. And we're looking at the Bible's teaching on some of the more difficult aspects of the Christian life and what it means to follow Jesus. Um, Because again, sometimes when we hear the good news of Jesus, we can hear verses like this. Romans 8, 16, it says, The Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit Himself, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So God's Holy Spirit 
testifies, tells you, makes you understand and experience and feel the fact that you are a child of God. Right? You're adopted by God. He is your loving, heavenly Father. And that's a great thing. An amazing blessing to have God, to call God Father, to have Him as our Father, our loving authority, who's with us, who cares for us. To be one of His children is amazing. And as we recognize, some of us realize this right away, some of us not, you know, not right away, but we realize that God has more than one child, right? That we're not the only child of God in the world. God has lots of sons and daughters, and, and that's cool, right? Because God loves the world, so we want Him to have a love for all kinds of people. But, but then hold on a second, wait a sec, because if God is my Father, and God, for many of you, is your Father then what are we? Yeah, we're brothers and sisters. We're the family of God. And so, if I love God, and God loves me, and God loves some other men, women, boys, and girls, if we're family, what is my relationship to them? Right? We're brothers and sisters. Um, in fact, not just brothers and sisters, but we've got actually um, a responsibility. Right? We're brothers and sisters. God cares for you, but the fine print that we're going to look at today is that God is calling you to care about His family. Okay, and so this is the fine print of family responsibility. This is what we're going to look at today. The fine print of family responsibility. Okay, you, if you believe in Jesus, you have been saved by Jesus. But Jesus has saved you into the church, which is the family of God. And this is what the Bible teaches us. Okay, and a verse that you might not have looked at in this way, because it says some other things. It's there in your bulletin. It's also up here on the screen. 1 Timothy 3.15. Let's look at it together. There it says, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And so that that phrase, the household of God, back then the the, the word household was used to describe family. It was used to describe this, this living place that actually included Blood relatives, it also included servants, it included other people that all worked together on a particular property. They were called the household of God, they were the family of God. And so, what this means, we are the family of God. This means that you are responsible. You don't just have God as Father, but you are responsible to care for the church. You have responsibilities and obligations to the rest of the family. Okay, and so, as we've looked at before, what started out is God is my dad, then becomes I have brothers and sisters. Okay, now, for some of you, you're like, okay, yeah, I get this. This doesn't feel like fine print at all. Like, I think this is great. I'm glad for the brothers and sisters that I have. And then for others of you, having to call yourself a Christian, um, sometimes with friends, sometimes in the workplace, means that you're going to be associated with 
other parts of the family that don't excite you. For some of you, it feels sometimes when you identify yourself as a Christian that you're at the family reunion and you've got to spend time with Uncle Frank. Right? And so for some of us, this is fine print here. We actually would rather, we'd much rather just have, hey, it's me and Jesus. God is my Father, and what everybody else does, not my business. But the Bible tells us that if we are the household of God, then we have brothers and sisters, and God wants us to care for them. God wants us to embrace the family, to love the family. And so... What we see here is that we go from it's about me to it's about we. That's the bottom line today. That in the gospel, when it comes to following Jesus, we need to understand that it's not about me. It's about we. And English people, I get it. I know it's about us, but that doesn't rhyme, okay? (laughs) It's not about me. It's about we. Okay, now, so why is this? Why does Jesus bait and switch us like this? Right? He offers us God as Father, and then he's like, and I'll tell you about your brothers and sisters later. You know, after you commit, then here you go. Welcome to the family. Please forgive me for so-and-so. Forgive me, right? And we, some of us actually, we get busy looking at other people. We get busy criticizing everybody else. Man, I can't stand the pastor who can't keep his act together on the music stand. Right? We sit, we criticize. We get frustrated with people. And there is a point in time in our maturing process where we recognize, oh, dang, you know what? Those people that need to be criticized, like, that's me too. That's me too. Now, so why does Jesus do this? Why doesn't Jesus just say, okay, look, I'm God. I'm infinite. I can actually create perfect individual relationships with individual people all over the world. I can do this. I can be everything that they need. I can give them everything that they need. I can teach them myself. I can help them. I can be near to them. I can do all this stuff for them. I'm God. I can do that. Why doesn't Jesus do that? Why does he join us together as a family? We're going to talk about that. The reason why the answer to that question is crucial for us to not just embrace our identity as part of the family of God, but to rejoice in it, to celebrate it, and to champion the idea that, you know what, I am not alone. I want you to rejoice and celebrate the fact that, gosh, including all the people that I'm a little bit embarrassed about, sometimes a lot of bit embarrassed about, man, this is my family, and I am so glad Jesus did it this way. That's my hope, is that we'll get to that place. And so, I think that Um, one of the biggest reasons why Jesus does this is because he knows that inside of every single one of us is the desire to be part of something bigger. Okay? All of us have a couple, at least two different parts of who we are. We all have this life that we're living. Okay? And sort of our head is down. This is when we're not like up and thinking about ourselves. We're sort of in life. Right? Maybe we're, we're in school. Maybe we're at work. Maybe we're taking care of the home. Maybe we're, like, we have friends. There's people that we interact with. We sort of have a daily routine that involves us being in our lives. Okay? But then all of us, I think, sometimes ask ourselves, like, what exactly are we here for anyways? Right? What exactly are we doing here? And we kind of have this idea of, I want my life to matter. Right? I don't want to go through my entire life and at the end go, yeah, well, uh, I don't know. 
right? I mean, we want to be part, and so we, we want to be part of something bigger. This is why sports is so attractive. College football season just started, right? Half of the country is super elated right now. Half the country is depressed and mourning right now, right? Why? Well, because their team won or lost. Now, UCLA won, so I'm feeling really good about myself right now. My college football, you know, drug, I, I took a hit yesterday as we, uh, as we beat uh, University of Virginia, um, handily, by the way. Um, and, uh, and so why do we do that? Well, it's because we want to be part of something bigger, right? And if I can celebrate with another team whose work somehow I feel like I get credit for, right? How does that work, right? I mean, they do all the work, they're on the field, I'm just cheering and so I get credit. And if I'm cheering for the right team, that makes me feel good. All right, well, that's good. It's because we want to be part of something bigger, right? And so I think that this is actually built into the fabric of creation itself, okay? I think it's actually built into the way God has made the world that when we are joined together, we become something together that we cannot be apart. Okay, so I'm going to just sort of put on the biology 101 class here just for a second. I'm going to invite you to sit down. I'm going to be the professor, a bio professor. And just for a couple minutes, I'm going to give you a bio lesson. Okay? You are made up of atoms. Right? There are atoms that make up who you are. Actually, there were atoms that were, you know, that, that are out there. And atoms unite, right? Not all atoms are independent atoms, right? Atoms unite. Why? Well, because they want to be part of something bigger. And so atoms unite to form molecules, right? It's kind of amazing. Hydrogen gas, oxygen gas, when they come together, they form something that is life-giving, right? They form water that sustains life. They can't do that separate, right? Hydrogen and oxygen cannot sustain life by themselves, and yet together they can in the right combination, Right, So molecules also then, they join together. And in your body, molecules form cells. Right, Cells are able to do things that molecules can't do, that atoms can't do. Right, But when they unite together, they can become something bigger, something more. Cells connect to form tissues. Nice. All right, they form tissues. Tissues do all kinds of things in the human body, right? You have all kinds of different tissues, so we're going to trace one strand of this. Tissues unite to form organs, right? Organs unite to form organ systems, right? You've got the digestive system here. There's a respiratory system. There's a circulatory system. There's a, I mean, all the systems, right? And when these organ systems unite together, they form your body, right? <laughs> I just downloaded this off of Google. I didn't Photoshop out. The pel- I mean, just, it wasn't me. I'm not a prude. But, uh, but there you go. <laughs> so what does this mean? This means that you are a walking union of parts. You are living proof that built into the fabric of the world God has made, things need to join together. Things of like substance need to come together to form something greater than they can be on their own. Man. Each union makes something that is greater than the sum of its parts. So where are we going here? Well, what do you do when you have a bunch of bodies? If bodies could unite together 
as a family, if people, right, if you, right, because built into not just who you, like what you're made of, but built into who you are as a desire to be some part of something bigger, what happens if we as Christians were unite, would, would unite together? What do we make up in unity that we cannot be alone? This is a massive question. Right? How would you answer that question? Well, this is how the Bible answers it. In 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12, it says this. It says, For just as the body is one and has many members. So now we're talking about body parts, right? There's a one body, and now we're not talking about organ systems, organs all the way down. We're talking, we're talking about body parts. So the body is one, has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. So all of us are members of a body. goes on, as it is, there are many parts and yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Again, the Bible here is describing what we are when we unite together as a family. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, what is this body? Right? What is this body that together we form that is so much more glorious, that is as gloriously bigger than who we are individually as a body is compared to organ systems, right? What is this body? Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Friends, the Bible says that if we unite together as a family, if we unite together as people who love each other and are committed to each other, if we recognize that all of those who call God Father are brothers and sisters and we act like that, we make up the body of Christ. This means, like, do you understand what this means? Like, so Jesus is now the head, right? Jesus is the head. We're all connected to him. We're all parts of the body. Jesus is the head. He's the one in charge. He's the one in control. We get that. But this means that we together are the presence of God on earth. We together are God showing the world how much he loves it. We are God caring for his children and for the world that he loves. you see that? When we are committed to the family of God, when we are committed to each other as a church, we display God on earth. 
This is what unity brings. If we are united together as a church family, this is what it is. Together we are better. Together we are bigger. I think this is why loneliness is such a tragedy. This is why loneliness is so painful. Because we're not made to be alone. We are made to be part of a family like this that knows each other like a body, that cares for each other like a body, that supports each other like a body. And so this image of the body, this is God telling us, it's not me, it's we. It's not me, it's we. So Jesus says that Christians need to be part of the church. Okay? And I would say for most of you who are here, um, you need to be part of this church. Okay? Now, so who does this not apply to? Who am I not talking to right now? Well, if you're not a Christian, then this doesn't necessarily apply to you. We would invite you to become part of our church. But right now, Jesus is talking to the people who have already committed to him. And so you're getting a chance to lean in um, and just to read sort of the fine print before you decide to commit to Jesus. Um, This doesn't apply to you who are visiting from out of town, right? You may have another church in another part of the country, another part of the world, and that's part of your church. This doesn't necessarily apply to you. Um, And then those of you who are visiting with us and are just starting to get to know us, I don't think it's appropriate for, if this is like your first date with our church, like we're not going to go to Vegas and get married this afternoon, right? It's going to take some time for you to get to know our church. It might take you three months, it might take you about six months, right? Just to get a feel like, is this the church that you want to join? But, but for the rest of you, for the rest of you, Jesus wants you to call this church, not just your home, but your family. He wants you to be a part of the body of this church. Um, The whole New Testament is written to churches. Now, there are some letters that are written to pastors. uh, There's a letter written to someone who's probably the head of a house church, Philemon. Um, But outside of that, the Bible was written to the church in Rome. The Bible was written to the churches in Galatia. There was a church at Corinth. Seven churches in the book of Revelation. And so God inspired the Bible so that it would be given to the church. Okay? And so these things were written and they were designed to be read out loud so that the church could read them over and over and over again to discuss them, to talk about them. They were written so that the community of people would be this family. They would be a body together. Um, and so the, the, the image here that Jesus has for the church, it was written so that people who are clustered together in a geographical location could come together and be what they could not be apart. Okay? That's what it's for. And so Jesus wants us. He wants the primary focus of our lives to be, to include this church and the people who are in this church. He would tell all of us, don't long for something else. Okay? Don't long for someone 
else. I think this is a challenge for us. Because I think in any group of people that's this size, there are going to be people that you feel like you get along with and people that you don't. There may be people that you like and people that you sort of just tolerate. Or there might be people you don't like. And so this is really difficult. It's difficult to say, wait a minute, I don't want to have to commit to this church. In fact, what I'd really like to be able to do is I'd like to come to church on a Sunday, and then I want to have my own circle of friends outside, and then I want to be able to watch YouTube and, and look at videos there, because actually the preaching is much better on YouTube. And, um, and to that I would be like, yeah, I agree, I watch it too, right? I'm trying to learn and grow. Um, and, uh, but, and so like, I get that. And there are times, actually, where your experience outside of this church will make you better able to serve in this church. Okay, There are times you're going to learn stuff from another perspective in another church, in another part of the world, or another part of the country, or another part of town. And you're going to go, dang, we need to learn to do that. But again, the attitude there is different. You should be learning so that you can be a blessing to this church. Right? Thinking throwback to the Lord of the Rings days. I remember Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York, he was talking about this once and he said, you know, it's amazing that in the books, not the movies, so if you haven't read the books, you're going to totally miss out. You're going to go, huh? Wait a minute, that's not how the movie ended. The books ended differently. In the books, after Frodo and Sam and the four hobbits, like, saved the world, right, by destroying the ring, when they got back to the Shire, they had to actually save the Shire. Because Saruman actually left his tower and went to the Shire and took over. And so when Frodo, Sam, and Pippin and Mary got back, Saruman was in control and he had destroyed the Shire. And so the four hobbits had to basically take everything that they had learned from the last year of being away, their entire life experience saving the world they used so that they could save their home. Same thing for us. Sometimes we learn from outside so that we can bring it back and be a stronger part of this family and a stronger part of this united church. Because that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I will build my church. That's what he's doing. And when we stop being invested here, and I get it, I know life pulls you in a thousand different directions. I totally get it. And I do get the fact that, man, sometimes there's just better teaching elsewhere. I get that. There's friendlier people elsewhere. I get that. I really do. I understand that that saying, yeah, I'm going to be a part of this church means that you're going to have to say yes to some things and you're not going to be able to say yes to some other things that you might prefer. But Jesus' vision for us is that we would say, you know what? The bigger that he has for us includes a strong commitment Right here. It includes a strong commitment to the people that are, sta- that are sitting in this room. Right? It's us being the family of God. Because when we don't do that, when we don't commit to a church, we don't commit and, and really like invest a significant portion of our time in the church, relationally, service-wise, financially, I mean, all those things, right? We're not just, it's not just about membership, it's about like being co-owners, Right? That we own this church. This is our church. And we're committed to doing our part. Right? To make it healthy. To make it strong. When we don't do that, what ends up, what we end up living is a fragmented life. We end up connected to all sorts of different things. And it's not just church stuff. I mean, I know we've got hobbies. We have entertainment. We've got friends. We've got work. We've got family. We've got, you know, extended family. I mean, I get it. It's really, really difficult. We're pulled in all these different directions. 
But when we, when we allow ourselves that, we don't commit in significant ways to the church, to this church. We live fragmented lives, and we are no longer the body. You know, we're no longer this. Um, and this is a two-way street. It's, it's, it's very much a two-way street because some of you desperately need to be more connected to this church for your sake. Okay, some of you are hurting and you're lonely and you're struggling because you're not connected to the church and you need the relationships and the support and the encouragement from the church. Some of you need to be connected to our church because we need you. Because there are people in this church who need you and what you have learned and who you are. And all. And we need your relationship with God. We need the blessing that you are uh, committed to this church so that we can grow and become the church that God wants us to be. And so, man, when we commit to the church, you have an opportunity to go deeper And when you go deeper, you have an opportunity to be a part of something that is bigger, that is more significant. When there's a need and you meet it, you are acting like the body. I think there's a version of you that you will never reach without a significant commitment to the family, to the people in this church. Jesus has a vision. Right? He describes it in several different places, but here's one of them. Oh, wait, this isn't in your bulletin yet. Hold on. So let's go back. It's in your bulletin. <clears throat> it's in Acts 2. I didn't get a slide for this. But Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. This is the description of the early church, the first followers of Jesus. Listen to this. Read along with me. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. That means they were awesome. Um, And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So miracles were happening. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their, their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. That means God was thrilled with what they were doing. And the people who looked on them said, Whoa, we've never seen anything like this before. We've never seen a community that's this committed to each other. And... There's different, there's different like, interpretations of this passage. I don't believe they were actually selling 100% of their things and making one joint bank account. I think that the rest of the Bible actually tells us that when there was a need that arose and people had extra property, they would sell that property. This was like income property that they were using that was extraneous to their, their sustenance because if everybody sold everything, everybody left their jobs, then nobody's at work and then that doesn't work, right? It just doesn't make sense. And so, but what was happening was these people were so committed to each other that when there was a need, people were making sacrifices to support the family. Okay? We experienced this just recently 
in our church just about, it was, it was last week or, yeah, it was last week or the week before, where someone came to the church with a need. It was part of the church, but the need was for something that we actually didn't have money for. And so we had to say, the, the, the folks that were working with the person who had need had to say, you know what, we don't have money that's budgeted. Like we're trying to steward the money that people give, and we don't have money budgeted to be able to meet this need. But here's what we've done. We've sent out a request to about 30 people. We're not going to tell you who they are. And in less than an hour, we've been given $500, and the need was 350 And so we have this money for you. Not because the church didn't want to help you, but because the whole church loves you. And these are just people who gave 25, some gave 20, some gave 50 bucks. And I mean, and the need was met. Friends, like that's what it looks like. And it does. It looks like that in our church. Man, how did that person feel? I mean, incredibly loved, incredibly cared for. They felt like the body. And I'm like, I love our church. This is so amazing. Right? This is the church acting and being something greater than it could be separate. And this acts too. This is the vision. Right? And of course, when the church acts like this, the Lord adds to their number day by day those who are being saved. Because God's in control of salvation. God's like, if you're acting like a family, if you're acting like this, like a body, I'm bringing as many people as you can possibly handle because I want them to experience my love through you. I want them to experience it because then they're going to turn around and love others with it. And so, thinking about us being the body, the body is this great image. I've got something that, um, that I want to show you. I've got a hand, right? I've got a hand. And, you know, I was thinking this week about, think about your fingers, right? Think about how wonderful fingers are. Right? Everybody take your finger and look at it. I want you to think just for a second. What has your finger done for you today? What has your finger done for you today? Like my finger helped me to write some things down so that I can encourage someone who wasn't at a meeting and I want to fill them in on the details. My finger helped me to do that. Right? It played the part in holding a pen. My finger made my beard look so good this morning. By holding on to the razor and helping me to, you know, trim it the way it's supposed to go, right? My finger held my toothbrush so that if you come near to me, my breath doesn't stink this morning, right? My toothbrush helped me, or my finger helped me to eat. My finger helped me to drive. My finger helped me to open a door. My finger, man, like fingers are amazing things, right? Fingers are fabulous. I mean, we should be super thankful for our fingers. But if you break a finger off, Right? You break your finger off. Now what's it good for? Kind of nothing, right? I mean, if your finger is broken off, it's not good for anything. Well, maybe for pointing. You did it wrong. You did it wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. I'm on your side, not your. Right? I mean, fingers that are broken off are good for nothing except for pointing. Right, friends, the same is true about us. The same thing is true for us. We are members of the body of Christ. And when we are joined together as the body of Christ, 
man, we are incredibly useful. Okay? Whether you know your gifts or not. Right? Whether you know, just being here and caring for people makes Jesus able to use you. When you ask somebody, so how are you doing? And you really mean it. You want to know the answer. Right? That helps us to be a family and a body. Right? When you serve to set up, when you serve in the children's ministry, when you serve with hospitality, when you come and you just help out, like you're serving and we are, you know, Jesus is using you. We work together. We care for each other. But same as the finger, when we are broken off, when we're not committed to the ongoing life of the church, we begin to die inside. And haven't you experienced that? I mean, think about it. Here's one way that I think you might have experienced this. Um, have you ever felt like when you're by yourself, you struggle with things that you don't struggle with when there's other people around? Right? Lust is kind of a big one here. Maybe greed, um, depression, or bitterness. When we're alone, those kinds of things, we tend to struggle with them more than if we have friends that are in the room with us. We have friends that are around us. Um, There are lots of things that we struggle with when we're alone, but not so much when other people are around. And some people actually call, you know, say, well, that's hypocrisy. If you're not the same way that you are when you're by yourself as when you're with other people, you're a hypocrite. As people say, I'm like, I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think the Bible thinks so either. Um, Maybe not. I mean, maybe the reality is, maybe, just maybe the reality is that you're stronger if you're not alone. Maybe the reality is that you're more like Jesus if you're not alone. Maybe you, like a lot of other people in this room, need relationships. Maybe God has actually made us that way. Maybe God has designed us for community. Maybe community is part of the key for us to be who God wants us to be. Friends, it's not about me. It's about we. And we tend to think that that something bigger that we're aiming for is out there somewhere. We tend to think that if I could just learn this, or if I could just get over this, or if I could just conquer this, or if I could just get this job, or go to this place, or, and we tend to think like we're always striving after something else. Man, what if the answer for you to experiencing real satisfaction in a life that matters is you simply deciding, you know what? I'm going to commit to being a part of this family. I'm going to be a finger that's attached, (laughs) not detached. Right? I'm going to be connected in with the relationships, right? With the people here. I'm going to get over the fact that this is about me being pleased and I'm going to show up to serve. I think that is what Jesus is aiming us for. In fact, I think that's why Jesus came. And I think that's why Jesus died. Um, Jesus was crucified because people did not want to be united with him. Jesus was crucified because people wanted their own way. Jesus was crucified because people wanted to be fragmented off from what God was doing in the world. And so when we act selfishly, when we are not committed to the church, when we aren't investing our lives into the people that are here and part of this family, 
those are sins that crucified our Savior. I mean, even Jesus' 12, like among the 12 that were most, that were closest to Jesus, he had some people that were on the side of Rome, right? Those are the tax collectors. He had some people who were actually wanting to destroy Rome and, and declare war on Rome. That was the zealots, right? He had people from all walks of life. He had folks that were in the upper echelons of the religious leadership. And you had people that were on the outskirts um, of the religious leadership. I mean, Jesus brought all of these people together from the beginning of his ministry. He was uniting people because he knew, especially when the church is diverse, especially when the church is made up of people from every tribe and tongue and people and community, then the church is bigger, then the church is better. And Jesus gave his life to join us together. The sins that we commit against each other, Jesus died for on the cross. Jesus forgives you so that you can have in you the love that you need to forgive others. This is Jesus' call. This is what he wants for us. This is his vision for our lives. And it looks like us saying, Look, yes, I'm willing. I'm willing. I mean, the Bible's full of places that you can go to say, well, so what do I do next? Well, if, if you just Google search the phrase one another in the Bible, that's a great place to start. I did that this week. There's over 60 places in the Bible where the New Testament says, do this to one another. And so it's like love one another, pray for one another, support one another. Just find two or three of them. Okay, look up two or three of those things and say, I want to do this this week. And walk in it. I was talking to, um, to Josh, who's the leader of Campus Outreach at Point Loma Nazarene, um, this week. And we were talking about what does it look like to build a community of people. Like he's planting and he's starting this movement of Jesus on the campus at Point Loma Nazarene. And he said this. He said, you know what? Here's what I've learned. When we are living life together, when we're studying together, Everything is different. He said, who you do it with makes all the difference. And if you live life as a team, I would say as a family, it changes everything. I can say this. Personally, I've been walking for Jesus, with Jesus for 25 years. And my journey has been a series of radical ups and downs. Because in the last 25 years... I have also been with people who are radically up. And I've been with people who are radically down. And I have been elated by those who are up. And I have rejoiced with them and learned. And God has pulled out of me more of himself than I knew it was in there by being around people um, that were up. And I've also been able to learn from and give to people who were radically down. To sit with them to pray with them, to care for them. Sometimes with answers, sometimes with a silent mouth, letting them know they're not alone. This is the vision that God gives to us to be the church. Will you join us? Let's pray together. Jesus, we are so thankful to you that you and your infinite wisdom, you know so much better than we do what we need. You know that we need to be part of your family. You know how much we need each other. 
And we pray that we would walk in unity. Jesus, help us to be your family. And let it start this week. Jesus, I pray that you would put on the heart of every person here what is one thing that they can do to be the body of Christ, to be able to display you. For some people, it's going to be coming out and talking about something they're struggling with. For others, it's going to be looking after someone else and asking them how they're doing. I pray, Jesus, that you would today make us the body of Christ in a way that we haven't been before. Help us to experience what it is to be something bigger and greater, not because we've looked out there, but because we've looked in here and we have found within each other a love and a closeness and a unity that truly displays your love for the world. We pray this in your name. Amen.